Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, He-Man, Him-Man, and with me are... Tori, they, dog, they man? No, wait. They, them. <laughs> and... Chris, any man, person, dog, cat thing? <laughs> we really like any making a loose rock. definition. <laughs> yes, there we yes. go. That should have been it. The raw suffix. Yep. Right. Amato had the right joke. Yeah. Well, Amato <laughs> had the he pronoun, so <laughs> kind of right. set up for that one. It's an unfair advantage. But yes... As usual, thank you, Chris, for coming on to talk about something random that I assign you. Yeah, no problem. I cannot guarantee that I have any insight in this one, because I am very unfamiliar with this particular media franchise, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, no, so am I. I just thought I shouldn't let a complete lack of familiarity stop me. Uh, it never has before. We've just done it anyway. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, one of those things, though, that's kind of weirdly topical, because I did, both of us just watched the new Masters of the Universe show that mm-hmm. came out. And that, you watched that, yes, yes. I remember. Yeah, and that was sort of like on the heels of the Shira reboot, but they have not done specifically a He-Man reboot, which is interesting. I actually think they might have just recently made oh, sort maybe. of an animated update. I don't know anything about it, though, so we're still in the dark regarding yeah. that one. <laughs> but anyway, He-Man is fairly topical. I think you two have that up on me, then, because I definitely haven't seen that new series. But isn't it a sequel to the old series rather than a reboot? Yeah. Yeah, The Masters of the Universe is a sequel. As far as I know... I mean, it must be, because I don't think... Well, I don't want to spoil the show for anyone, but... (laughs) It it reads a lot like a sequel. Like, you enter into the show, there's established... Everything that I know about the He-Man canon is established and part of what's going on from the the show's outside, which is admittedly very little. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, I'm even less than you. Like, I've only encountered Masters of the Universe really peripherally. Um, I did find out, though, Here's my connection, which is that this fanfic is based on the 2002 reboot of Masters of the Universe, um, which honestly seems to be very, very similar to the 80s Masters of the Universe. It doesn't seem like they changed all that much, really. But the voice of He-Man in that series is the voice of Snoopy on the old Talking Snoopy tapes with like this Talking Snoopy like doll that played the the cassette tapes that my kids have been listening to a lot lately because my dad um got one that works and you know reacquired tapes because we used to have it when my sister and i were kids um so that has nothing to do with anything but i've been hearing that voice actor quite a bit (laughs) that's interesting you know i obviously didn't do enough research because i didn't even realize there was a 2002 reboot of (laughs) so there you go Yeah, the, my understanding is that this fanfic author is basing these on the 2002 reboot, but then mm. drawing in material from the 80s cartoon, especially troll-related material, that had not right. been established um, in the reboot. Oh, I see. That 
does make sense because I was doing like a, a little bit of research as I went just to make sure that I knew everything and like character names were showing up in some of the searches of characters that were introduced in this in a different way than they were apparently in the original 80s. So it makes sense that they're sort of adding some of the 80s cartoon canon into the 2002 versions of these characters. Yeah. Right. Well, my biggest question going into this is, does Orko know that Adam is He-Man? Because in the fanfic, sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but in the original show, he knows in the first episode. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a difference with the 2002, or maybe they're just kind of skirting that thing where, like, Adam always talks about He-Man in third person, even when he's alone with someone who knows. <laughs> Yeah. You know, on that note, I'm going to step away and I'm going to have a friend of mine who's much better at podcasting and also much more muscled step in and take over from here. Okay, but, <laughs> you know, no connection. I know okay. Um, your friend of Motto Man. You know, that's one of the things about Master of the Universe is like, what? I mean, there's a lot of things about Master of the Universe, but I never understood even why the He-Man Prince Adam thing was a thing. Like, are you hiding this information for some reason? I guess the sorceress told him to or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm similarly in the dark. All I could really think of is that um, I think in Vogue at the time was the idea of like a superhero secret identity. So they were really relying on that trope without really necessarily having all of the details in place that make that justified in some of the times it's justified let's be clear only some of the times that it's justified in superhero comics <laughs> right it's not like a spider-man situation where it's like oh my enemies can't find out or they'll strike at my loved ones it's like everyone knows where he-man lives right over there with the other warriors like they, everyone knows who he-man's friends are they're right over there like there's right. no secret information here that needs to be like protected for the safety of innocence or anything Right, because, like, Man-at-Arms is... It, none of the others are secret identities. They just right. they show up and they fight with He-Man as themselves. Like, sort of. I mean, some of them have code names, but, like, people know who they are, I think. Um, and it's also sort of funny. I Well, I guess this fanfic, and I think a lot of He-Man fanfic wants to explain this a little bit. This fanfic... It, instead of trying to explain it, just makes jokes about it, which I think is actually really funny. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what you've got to do if you're trying to yeah. engage with it. Uh, it's uh, interesting, an interesting problem trying to introduce realism into things like Masters of the Universe, wherein so much of it is built up on tropes. Yeah. Well, the reason we're talking about this fanfic at all, despite not really knowing or caring much about Masters of the Universe is because this is one of the fanfic wrecks off of this random live journal article that I found way, way early in the history of the podcast. The live journal post is called 20 Good Fanfics by internet person Hyru, which they posted in 2009. And I've said this before, but the main thing was that, you know, they had some of my very, very favorite fanfics on the list, like Sailorman 4200 is there. And, and so I was inclined to be like, okay, yes, I will read what you recommend. And then also, it's just that this person covered a wide range of different fanfic, you know, uh, what's the word? Different source materials, which is a little bit unusual on fanfic rec lists. And so that's the reason that we read a Smurfs fanfic, for example, back in the day. Or uh, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Turtles was one of those. 
And so the Trollin Trilogy is here, He-Man and the Master of the Universe based, the Trollin Trilogy by Gonzo the Mediocre. And I think maybe Hyrule liked it more than I did, but um, I know it's a personal taste sort of thing. Hyrule also writes. Um, I, guess, I guess I may as well read their comments, huh? It's based on the 2002 remake. There we go. The Trollin Trilogy reuses a lot of themes, plot ideas, and even characters from the old cartoon, the most prominent being Orko's love interest Driel and his uncle Montork, but updates and modernizes them in the style of the remake, and the result, while it does have some flaws, is quite enjoyable and seriously tries to give Orko a proper background and make Troll into a more well-rounded world. The series does suffer from a few very common fanfic flaws, like lack of follow-up on a few of its ideas, and a tendency for the characters to behave more as the story demands instead of reacting like real people, but all in all, the ideas and situations are more than enough to make me return to the stories again. That's good, Rick. And we've done several Hyrule Recs, as you mentioned, Motto, and <laughs> I think I've liked all of them. Like, I like this one. Okay, so does that mean you're all in on reading this Akira Animaniacs crossover that is on this list at some point? You know what? At this point, yes, because I didn't think CSI Charlie and the Chocolate Factory would be good. And I didn't think, I don't know, there was another crossover that I had no reason. I didn't think the Smurfs one would be good because it's the Smurfs, you know. But yes, I'm all in now, Amato. (laughs) I trust you. (laughs) And I trust Hyru. Yeah, I I basically do too. Also, let's be clear, Animaniacs and Akira mashup sounds amazing actually <laughs> yeah obviously it does the animaniacs thing where it recasts akira with the animaniacs characters right you can come it's... back on for that one too if you want chris i don't know who else i'd <laughs> ask for that <laughs> um i would be happy to um sure <laughs> well we'll be paying that for the future um as for this this is called the Trollin trilogy it it seems to have continued past three stories and just kind of continued in the same continuity. But we just read the first three, the actual trilogy, uh, and they each have their own story title. It's Lightning Strikes Twice, The Mage in the Silver Mask, and The Apprentice's Sorcerer. And, you know, I'm not sure I've got a date of publication on these. I didn't think to look until just now, but, you know, they're hosted on the author's own simple html website um author leaves copyright information at the end of the chapters yeah it's i just looked not dates just whose characters and lines are copyrighted to whom right i guess if i looked way back in the like history of the updates of the website I would probably be able to find this. But I'm not sure I care well enough. Suffice it to say that sometime after 2002, when the He-Man series was running, uh, are when these fanfics are from. And before it looks like... Before 2005, at least? Yeah. There's an update in 2020, which is interesting. Then it jumps back to 2010 <laughs> of this website. What was the update in 2020 here? Wow. Just something something having to do with this. I have no idea what this even is that I'm looking at when I followed that link of what they updated. Well, you know what? This is another situation where I probably could have contacted the author 
and just was not on top of it. So sorry about that, Gonzo. Um, but in any case, we will try to discuss the fanfic with all the respect and seriousness seriousness that we do anything, which is a moderate amount. Before we do that, I just want to point out, I'm looking at the updates of the website, and several of them are like, made a new Kiss doll, it was reboot-themed or something, and I was just like, oh my god, I forgot about those. Remember, they were little, like, internet paper paper dolls, like, pixel paper dolls that you could dress up, and then you'd make them and you'd save them on your website. I don't think I ever understood what a Kiss doll was, actually. Is that what it was? Yeah, it's like people would, um, there would be a base and you could go to a website where you could buy the base, which, or not buy, just copy and paste because they were dolls. And then you get the clothing from other people could make them, you know, basically people were just creating their own model bases and their own hair, eyes, you know, clothes out of this sort of just pixelated art. And so it was just a dress up doll, but you would go, people would make the clothing and stuff and you could go to their website and like. I don't know, download it or something and then put it on your own doll and your own page. I don't know. All right. Well, yeah, there are those there too. It's one of those time capsule type websites, which I always appreciate. But I guess, shall we jump into the fanfic itself? Yes. Let's give it a go. (laughs) All right. I guess we talk about them in parts, right? I mean, as three separate stories. The first one, Lightning Strikes Twice. Um, this appears to be a sequel to the 2002 series, which I guess means it was written after two, like 2004 or later. And all that it seems like in the second season of that show, like the Snake Men showed up and then they got banished again and whatever. Um, but it starts off with like a really brief scene on Trolla with, you know, a figure we're going to be meeting soon, getting sucked into some interdimensional storm. And then we jump immediately back over to the He-Man characters, like the actual Masters of the Universe characters. And here's the thing. It starts off with a scene with Prince Adam and Tila, and like they're doing a kind of survival wilderness training that she's having him do. And starting off with that, I kind of thought they would be significant characters in these stories that we read. And this is the scene where Prince Adam slash He-Man has the most to do and the most characterization and the most lines in the whole thing. He's really backgrounded which is fine because I don't care about him. But like, I I was just like a little bit surprised moving onward into this fanfic that that was the case. Yeah, it's true. It actually almost feels like he gets less and less to do because in this first story, he, you know, he's the main, I want he's not the hero of the story, but he's one of the main heroes who comes in at the end. Whereas like in the next stories, it's the other masters of the universe and He-Man's just there (laughs) Um, in a way, you know? effectively relegated to being as important as oh i I don't know i need to remember a name of one of these people (laughs) one of them is called buzz off because it's a terrible buzz off yeah Yeah. some real action figure ass names some of these characters have (laughs) like i i was flashing back the teenage mutant ninja turtles toy line um while reading this and just all of these like dumb animal name characters where it's like oh yeah this guy's lion heart and he's a shakespearean actor who mutated into a lion person <laughs> yeah and i guess maybe according to the back of the action figure box he lives in the sewers with the turtles now i don't know 
it's funny because if this was a modern piece of media, you know, all these character names, I'd just be like, what? Why? But since it's from the 80s, it gives me that nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of feels charming. <laughs> and like, you know, like, even though I didn't know all of Skeletor's minions, right? Um, I knew like Beast Man was a Beast Man and Claw Thor, whatever. Is it Claw Thor? I forget. Uh, has claws, you know? You just, you know, right? <laughs> In terms of the heroic warriors who get mentioned, every time they said the name Buzz Off, I got offended on his behalf. Um, whenever, <laughs> whenever Roboto came up, I was just like, that's, that's your name for a robot, seriously? But I was genuinely charmed by Ram Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely picturing him as a robot master from Mega Man, but even so, I, I do like the name Ram Man. It's got an animal-themed name. It's got to be a, from Mega Man X, right? I think they eventually added a sheep man in one of the Oh, you're right. Games. Darn. <laughs> he also doesn't have, like, a nonsense adjective before his name, so he can't be from Mega Man X. Oh, yeah. Mega Man X uh, maverick <laughs> names are great. Yep. Yes, I will fight Boomer Quanger. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Karma Chameleon. No, it's something chameleon. I, I don't remember what. Um, where were we? Make me oh, yeah. I haven't played in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Uh, He-Man, or Prince Adam, who, who's not He-Man. And Tila. I kind of do like the scene. Like, she's trying to teach him, like, survival skills. I, I guess this is a dynamic they have where, like, she's kind of the actual trained person and he just has a dumb magic sword and so she's like uh you know has to teach him all this kind of stuff yeah i like actually found this to be one of the more charming scenes and it's a good lead-in because you know you get this well i guess it doesn't establish the main characters of this story who are not really (laughs) adam and tila but it establishes a tone and they're very playful with each other and they're building these shelters and Tila gets to, you know, prove to Adam that his sucks because she says, get inside, I'll pour a bucket of... And then, well, she doesn't tell him. She's like, get inside, then she pours a bucket of water on him. And he thinks he's going to get her back. He's like, oh, get in yours. And hers is, of course, well-made. And the water just goes right off. She comes out all dry. And then they razz each other a bit. Yeah, it was all very cute. I think that's a bit of a... I think that's a bit of a recurrent theme in this, um, this fan fiction is that those sorts of scenes where they're not like driving the action forward and they just let the characters have conversations with one another actually tend to work pretty well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Tend to do a good job of characterizing and a good job of um, developing <laughs> the characters. Yeah. It's like, even if you didn't know who these characters were, you would know them pretty well from that scene. And I think be a little charmed by them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. The kind of general, characterization work when they had some space was usually pretty good. Roboto gets some good stuff. Despite me, oh, his yeah. name is totally boring. And, I mean, we can get to it, but I guess it's never really plot relevant. There's the whole dynamic between Man-at-Arms, who actually has a name, which is Duncan, and Orko, where I'm sure every single time it's comic relief in the show, where, like, oh, Orko will do something and, like, mess up some machines that Man-at-Arms is working with, because I guess Man-at-Arms is also, like, Man-at-Stem or something. Um, but, like, when, when you're in Orko's head, as we're going to be for a lot of this fanfic, 
it becomes a little bit more of an... Suddenly that relationship becomes interesting, because on the one hand, Man-at-Arms does not like him, and tends to be, like, tends to be a little bit unfair towards him, I would say. But also, like, Orko... So Orko's kind of, like, in some ways a little bit, like, stepping on, you know... I don't know, steps carefully around him, I feel like, in some ways, on an interpersonal level. And also, he, like, kind of gets, the, the like, the reasons why Man-at-Arms is constantly annoyed with him, because he has messed up multiple machines before, but it's also kind of awkward. Like, I feel like I just appreciate the portrayal in that sense, even though... Sorry, I'm, like I said, I'm totally jumping around. I appreciate showing there's this tight-knit group of heroes, and some of them are close, and some of them are not close. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good way to talk about the kind of tone of Orko's character throughout this. Like, he, you're in his head a lot, and he's he's been in Eternia for a while, but he's also from Trolla, and some of these things that Eternians do don't make sense to him, and they're much bigger than him, and that can be sort of intimidating, but oh, he's gotten used to it. And the, I think this is also part of the thing is Orko's kind of just a comic character, like a lot of the characters are in the original. And in this, um, he actually, you know, has an explanation for why his magic goes wrong, is the magic in this world is weird. And he's trying his best and he's actually gotten a lot better, which is cool in a different way than what they explain it in the new Masters of the Universe thing. But I won't spoil that for anyone who wants to see it. Not until yeah. it's retro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it another 15 years, what, something like that. I mean, I was just going to say, I really um, really understand the impulse to want to sort of flesh out Orko more as a character, because I get the feeling that in the original he is almost exclusively used as comic relief. And that is a little bit like... Uh, and, and like he sort of does, in the original, sort of feel bad and is sort of self-deprecating about his... Um, like inability to actually be helpful and that is a little bit unfair to a character if that's going to be their role in most of the show yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's follow up on the plot just a little bit because i did want to say a little bit more about that i mean obviously there's gonna be a lot to say about orko because these fanfics are really heavily about orko but you know the trollin who got sucked into eternia is named Driel. And she's a reconceived character from the original cartoon, um, but, you know, put into this 2002 continuity. And she's, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. She's been, like, stuck in the swamp. And uh, Prince Adam and Tila run into her and bring her back to Castle Eternia. Is that right? They don't live in Castle Grayskull? Correct, yeah. They right. live in a different part of the world. They live in a different playset. Different, yes. <laughs> Grayskull is where the sorceress lives, and it's like haunted by these weird shadows that she conjures, and it's just basically a place to like go and I don't know, convene with magic. It's not like a place you really want to live unless you're the sorceress, <laughs> I guess. Right. But that's her job to guard it, I'm pretty sure. So whatever. <laughs> um so anyway, they they bring Driel back to Castle Eternia, still apparently undergoing repairs after some kind of giant snake god stomped it towards the end of season two of the cartoon. And, uh, you know, Orko... Can snakes stomp things, Amato? I just, I really want to clarify this. I think if they are snake men, perhaps they have feet. Hmm. But I'm pretty sure it's a giant snake god, so... Okay. And also, um... 
If it's a snake man, is it really a snake anymore? It defines a snake. Let's really dig into this. If the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are turtles, then yes, a snake man is a snake. Okay. Ask the important question, <laughs> Look, I need to know, what is a snake? Anyway, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully we can resolve that. So Orko instantly gets a crush on Driel. Uh, she's also the first troll and he's seen forever. To his credit, he's never creepy about it, which I was kind of expecting to happen at some point. He's actually very concerned with like, oh, you are another stranded person and I need to like show you around and try to like help you out and like help you get settled, like see, you know, what we can do to help you out to get back home and all that kind of thing. Um, but he also has to like kind of, he's very embarrassed when things come out that he's, he brags that he's the official court magician or whatever, which he technically is apparently. And like, he actually does a lot of gardening because the Eternians don't trust magic too much and they especially don't trust his magic too much. And I feel like that's kind of one of the key hooks that the author uses to make you care about Orko. Because caring about Orko is a big sell, I would think. Uh, apparently he's not a very popular character among the original fan base either. But the idea that in Trolla he was a genuinely good sorcerer like, kind of a, like, hotshot, you know, top of his class, like, good at using magic. And so, in Eternia, the, the blows to his pride have been pretty heavy, it, it seems, on a personal level. And like you said, he can be self-deprecating about it, but I think that becomes a lot harder for him when there's another trolling around, especially one that he has a crush on. But even so, like, if it's just him and no one else from his culture it seems like he can shrug it off a little bit more compared to like having to say like, oh yeah, I'm actually kind of useless and people laugh at me, sort of. Yeah. That was another thing that it was kind of the difference that explaining the name Orko the Great, right? Um, you have to extrapolate something like, why is he Orko the Great? And this author was concerned with that and the new Masters of the Universe is concerned with it just in completely different ways. But it's like, yeah, he was great. He's just like, you know, and, and it also sort of explains why he's always trying to do magic that he clearly can't pull off. Cause like, he's just like, I could do this back controller. Just, I, you know, I'm doing my best here. Right. And they sort of, uh, the author sort of delves into the physics of the magic, which I think was a, a nice touch in a lot of ways, um, where they sort of described the magic as being uh, lumpy or being like uh, it's described in ways as like a tide like it flows and ebbs in sort of erratic ways um, which again like sort of makes sense as a justification for why you think oh yeah I can do magic the storm isn't happening right now and then all of a sudden the wind picks up <laughs> right yeah yeah we get some of that um, in a fairly natural way because he has to kind of show Drill what's going on and like explain the situation and by the way, Driel is a character. Uh, she doesn't. She's not super interesting. I mean, she she's stranded. She serves her plot function. It also becomes clear that, despite the Trollins being a magic using society, where like everybody can use magic, like there's a big variation in how good they are at it. And I, it seems like maybe the comparison could be like humans all have arms and legs, and they can all throw and kick a ball. But some people actually play soccer, and some people are professional soccer players. Um, and so, like, 
Orko was someone who actually really trained to be good at magic, and Driel is just a trollin who has never done that, partially because her family does not trust... Um, they're like anti-intellectuals, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we're yeah. the trollin equivalent, anti-dedicated like sorcerers. Yeah, um, it's explained a little bit later that they're the sort of people who are like, they'll trust the village healer or the person who, you know, builds homes with magic. But like, yeah, they don't, they don't trust anyone that does magic for its own sake. Oh no. How dare someone be a scientist? Right. Well, it, it kind of, I can kind of sympathize if it's sort of more of a, more of an equivalent to being a politician where it's like anyone who wants to go into politics should probably be looked at askance. It's like, oh, you, you want to pursue political power instead of just having it like thrust upon you or, you know, whatever. I don't think that's the implication, though. No, I mean, because really <laughs> like it, it, I don't know, actually, I feel, feel like a lot of people do magic on Trolla, like practice. I mean, they're right. all magical, but they all, like a lot of people. So it's not like a specific job it's more like i think it is more like doing science like going to college or something i don't know that's just the impression i get from this yeah and then of course even driel can do the simple things like levitate stuff um there's incidentally some some attention paid to troll in customs like you mentioned tori It, it seems that like the only showing almost never showing someone else your face and that being a like really big deal is actually from the original 80s cartoon. But it comes up here, um, it, like, by the end of the trilogy, Driel and Orko are going to show each other their faces, and that's, you know, that's a, a big romantic deal. But I also, like, there's, a, there's one point where He-Man, I think at the end of the first fanfic, has grabbed Orko, and Orko's unconscious, and his hat has fallen off. And He-Man's like, oh, I've always been really curious about Orko's face. But he very deliberately does not, like, turn over his head or, like, take a look, because he's like, I need to be respectful to my friend, who culturally does not show his face, and, like, needs to choose when that, when that happens. I thought that was upstanding on the part of He-Man. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of charming little, like, upstanding moments, like, this is clearly, like, clear uh, heroes and villains type of stuff, but with character complications and things happen. Um, you know, the villains are strictly villainous, the heroes are usually just strictly heroic. But um, what's fun, too, is these elements of trolling culture. I was actually surprised to realize that that not showing your face thing was from the original, because I thought like, oh, well, the author was just trying to explain why Orko always wears a hat and a scarf, but he can't see his face. But I, that shows me that there was some, you know, a world, small amount of world building for Trolla in the source. But what the author does that's cool is Orko shows Driel all of these tricks for like, oh, well, it, I could never eat in the dining hall it, with my, you know, it, the way they have their food and they don't have small pieces of food you can slip under your scarf and like all of these details. So he shows her how to magic and illusion mask, you know, and, and all of that. That's pretty fun to see. Now, the plot of this first story as such is basically that, you know, Orko takes Driel under his wing. And he says, look, we, you know, we can probably get you back home because I'm not good at magic here, but the sorceress is really powerful. And like, she draws on like Castle Grayskull, which is like the biggest deal source of magical power here. And she can probably get you home if we go take you to her. And which, which raises the also interesting and immediate question from Driel of like, so why haven't you asked the sorceress to send you home? And it's another of those Orko character development moments where he's like, 
I, I feel like I'm doing something important here, even if it's just a tiny little thing, that like the fight of good versus evil here is something that like I want to be a part of and do what I can, uh, as opposed to like getting whatever prestige and easy life he might have had as like a whiz kid magician back on Trolla. And that's cool. This does bring up the question, however, of why don't a bunch of other people from a bunch of other dimensions want to come here and engage in this cosmic battle of good versus evil. <laughs> you know, I always kind of thought that that was the point, and that's why it was called Masters of the Universe. But as I learned a little bit about it, it kind of seems like, no, that's not really happening, and there's no good reason why it's called Masters of the Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a similar hope and was similarly I guess disappointed. I'm still not 100% sure. Maybe that is the justification. Who knows? I don't right. know. I just feel like this is I I think this fanfic is extremely well written, like, and like, not too many plot holes, but I feel like this is sort of a whole, like, Orko has an explanation for why he doesn't want to go back to Trolla, but it almost seems a little bit too easy that, oh, we just asked the sorceress and we can go into another dimension. Um, but maybe the sorceress is, doesn't, the sorceress doesn't, um, it's possible the sorceress doesn't do this, you know on a habit she's like oh you came from there so we should probably send you back you know rather than anything else i don't know though it does come up in a later story that more trollets managed to get to eternia so yeah <laughs> well we like clearly exist in a universe in this story where interdimensional travel exists and can be done via magic if mm -hmm. you're sufficiently magically powerful sort of without yeah. much of a cost really yeah but it seems like it should. Yeah. I think in any version of his background, one consistent thing about Skeletor is also apparently that he came from another dimension, or at least spent some time in another dimension, or something. Um, yeah, it's a thing. But, but anyway, Orko takes Driel over to the Castle Grayskull, but only he goes in because I guess he doesn't want to impose... Like there's, I forget. I forget why. There's some reason. Um, I think he's worried that Driel will be scared by the um, magic uh, illusions that are guarding the castle. Is that it? I'm pretty I, sure. There was like politeness uh, or something. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was politeness towards the sorceress, like not bringing someone she doesn't know in or something. He's going to do the Bjorn thing where he goes in and he's like, you know, a friend and I were just passing by and she's like, I only see you. Where's your friend? And then by the end of it, there's like 15 trollins in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, the point is that while she's outside, Driel gets kidnapped by Skeletor's forces. Because we've been cutting over to Skeletor's forces. Skeletor doesn't have any, any plans recently since the end of season two, apparently. And he's just like, I wish my minions would go do something useful. And the instigating plot is that Evil Lynn just to make it seem like she's doing something useful, is like, uh, yeah, so a, new, a source of unknown magical power appeared over near Castle, you know, Eternia recently, we can go get that for you. And Skeletor's like, yes, great, do that, I'm Skeletor. And Evelyn goes off, even though, like, she has no expectation this is in the slightest bit useful to Skeletor, she's just gonna, like, kidnap this new whatever for brownie points. Um, I... Do you find this scene where we, like, cut to Skeletor's forces kind of a, a fascinating look into Skeletor's mindset concerning 
warfare in general. Yeah. Where he's like, man, it's super boring. No magical artifacts have been unearthed. No one has invented a new weapon. No one, no one on the enemy side has invented a new weapon I can steal. As though you really needed, like, some form of technological advantage or magical artifact in order to wage conflict. And if there w- weren't such a thing, it would just be, like, apropos to go fight someone. Yeah, well... This is so funny. Um, I wanted to read part of that, but... Sure. Oh, no, um, so sorry. I didn't mean to step on your toes. Which part did you want to read? I was looking for it, but it's just its just the part Chris was talking. I mean, it's all pretty funny. There's this ongoing thread of it being a dark and stormy night or a bright and sunny day, which I think could be <laughs> n- not done well, or it's a dark and stormy evening, but I think it's actually done pretty well because this author kind of does everything a little tongue-in-cheek, especially the scenes with the villains. Um, and I just love this part. It was like, it was a dark and stormy night. That was the usual state of the area surrounding Snake Mountain. Somehow the area never reached full daylight. A combination of volcanic smoke, the ever-present clouds, and general evilness kept sunlight at bay. It was also dark and stormy, metaphorically speaking, within Snake Mountain. Skeletor was restless. He wanted to mount an attack on Grayskull, but he had no idea how. No new plans presented themselves that put him in a foul temper, and when he was in a foul temper, he liked to spread it around. Evelyn, Beastman, Triclops, Clawful, uh, Clawful, yeah, there we go, and Whiplash watched as Skeletor paced. They knew better than to show amusement at his frustration that would draw his attention, which would be unhealthy. It's been so peaceful, all in bold, Skeletor snarled. No new magic items had been unearthed. He had run out of plans for vehicles and weapons, and his enemies had not produced any new inventions worth stealing and using against them. He-Man had not been seen for days. And he couldn't even stage a direct assault. The ball of mange beast man couldn't control the griffins. Now it was their mating season. I hate peace. Sorry, I didn't do the Skeletor voice, but I just thought that was so funny. It's been so... How do you do it? I can't do it. Someone else do it. That was not bad, actually. It's, It's been so peaceful. I hate peace. Something like that. I'm honestly impressed. That was not a bad approximation. <laughs> you know, a train of thought when I was reading this fanfic did lead me to go back and listen to, um, you know, cartoon clips. But I kind of went straight to Mumra because Mumra's incantation is so good. <laughs> Fair enough. And does anyone remember that there was like a 2015 reboot of... Um, Thundercats? Yeah. Oh, was, yeah. It ran for like two seasons or maybe one season and got canceled. But it was really good. I forgot that. <laughs> and I also forgot about Thundercats, but I loved Thundercats. <laughs> was it Thundercats oh, or something well, like yeah. that? Yeah. Mumra's just so much better than Skeletor. I'm sorry, Skeletor. <laughs> and That's like just fair. the way the way his actor delivers the, you know, the transformation sequence line. It's like. Ancient spirits of darkness. Uh, I don't know what he says. Transform thy minion into Mumra. <laughs> ever living. It's so See, great. that's good. That's like threatening and foreboding. Skeletor, just like this fanfic treats him, just feels sort of like comically the evil one. And one of the parts I really liked was where yeah, um, the Trollins are like going around. Um, 
you know, basically going like Driel and Orko's perspective is like, oh, I sense magic in him. You know, I sense magic in him. And they're like, well, Skeletor has magic, but he must have magic because otherwise he couldn't speak without a tongue because he's just a skeleton head and he wouldn't be alive, <laughs> you know? So as mentioned, Evil Lynn kidnaps Driel because Evil Lynn is competent, unlike every other villain. And I, I don't know, she has one of the other action figure sidekicks with her, but whatever. And so when Orko gets back, he has to run back to Castle Eternia and be like, we need to save Driel, and they have to go do that. And some action figures fight each other. Um, the fighting part is not particularly interesting there. It's actually sort of comically uninteresting. Um, let me find the actual line. The, the, the line that I was thinking of, and this is most of the description of the actual conflict, is... The battle began as nearly all of their conflicts did. One side appeared, and the other emerged to beat them. Because oh, of the right. rough volcanic terrain surrounding Snake Mountain, movement was difficult, making it more efficient for the combatants to pair off. And so they did. Triclops fighting Man-at-Arms, Beast-Man <laughs> fighting Tila, and Whiplash fighting Rampant. And that's basically it. There is not, like, that is so Spartan of a description of combat <laughs> as to be almost non-existent. And when I say it's not interesting, let me just say, I'll take that. I, I would gladly take that over something like in the Beast Wars fanfic we read years ago. Like oh, the yeah. author put so much effort into describing all these fight scenes between these, you know, uh, not Autobots, uh, mutamoles and deceptive animals. Um, <laughs> I, I forget the Beast Wars Primals terms. Is the Prime, yeah. And the, oh god, what's the Decepticons one? Maximals is the... Oh, it's Optimus Maximals Primal. Yeah, Maximals right. and Predacons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The, the yeah. author yeah. put so much effort <laughs> into that one, and, you know, it went on for, like, two chapters of, like, this fanfic, and I was just like, enough already. Like, I don't care. This is not the, the relevant part. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so this author just, like, cuts straight to the relevant part, which I can definitely appreciate. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's hard to write good fight scenes, um, especially when you don't know a lot about conflict, about um, how to actually, you know, engage in a manner of physical violence. So you're, like, sort of approximating the reposts and the parries and the strikes um, and trying to keep that all interesting and straight. So, I, I'm like, I understand this, but this is an almost comical amount of... <laughs> lack of care about this fight scene and i mean i sort of approved to be honest yeah i'm with you amato it's yeah yeah i was i was gonna say i i think it works and it made me laugh but it also it was like one of those funny things where i could picture it right and yet the author managed in the couple of sentences to also give an explanation as to why something that would happen in the cartoon would happen, which is them pairing off to fight each other. They're like, oh, it's, it's the rough terrain. So a little bit of a loose explanation, fine. But they gave it something. At least an explanation, right. Yeah. And I think this author wasn't as concerned with those fights. They were more concerned with the magic, actually. And they put a lot of effort in describing when things happen between the magical parties, like the Trollans, basically when the Trollans fight. They cared about the Trollans. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> And so Evelyn has, by the way, Evelyn, great name, A+, plus, much better than mm -hmm. Buzz-Off. Hmm. Um, uh, how like, does Clawful rate on the scale? I really need to know. Uh, Clawful is closer to Buzz-Off than to Evelyn, but 
<laughs> but but I I can appreciate Clawful. Mm-hmm. It's a good name. Did he play Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, where one of the characters' names Fawful? Yep. He's great. <laughs> Clawful makes me think of Fawful, so I'm I'm all for it. I guess at least somewhat mm-hmm. for it. I mean, I suppose if that's the most endearing part of the character is that their name is similar to a character from Mario Luigi Superstar Saga, then I guess that's uh, something. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Ram Man, better than Clawful. Where was I? Uh, so yeah, you know, <laughs> like, you know, tied up. No, no, no. And, you were in and, the and, middle like, of raiding all of the character names. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, Evil Lynn is draining Driel's magic. And again... Right. Right. So... So here... here okay, here, here's the thing. Evil Lynn is draining Driel's troll and magic, which is a little bit different from the Eternal magic. And basically her whole plan is like, oh, I'm gonna put it into this rock, and then the rock's gonna glow, and then I'll, like, give the rock to Skeletor, and he'll be impressed because he's a moron who doesn't know anything about magic, and he's just gonna be like, ooh, it's a shiny rock full of magic even though he's, like, not enough of a wizard to actually do anything with it. And uh, because Trollans are magical creatures, this threatens Driel's life, and, you know, by the time Orko comes and, like, finds her, she's, like, unconscious and on the verge of death. But I was expecting this stolen Trollan magic that Evelyn siphoned off of Driel to come back into play in the next couple chapters, and it never, ever does. Totally irrelevant. Right. I was thinking the same thing, and I thought it would be relevant for Driel because she's weak from magic, but actually, uh-huh. in the next story, it's just like, oh no, she went back to Trolla, and her magic came back. Yeah, it seems more like drawing her blood than anything else, because, like, Orko, once he saves her, is able to kind of do an emergency. Not, not, not that dramatic of an infusion, it's like, she just wasn't that close to death. It just seems like if she's got a little bit more magic in her system, then she can kind of recover from there. And to summarize, that's more or less what happens. Orko doesn't even have like a, you know, he doesn't have to have a dramatic conflict in saving Driel, because once he gets there, Evelyn's already gone. And he just sort of grabs Driel. There is an ironic point where Driel's so weak, she's trying to indicate the thing that Evelyn had drained her magic into and be like, that, like, get that, that that's important. But she can't communicate that. And so Orko's just like, we gotta get you medical attention, and takes her away immediately. But again, that doesn't quite become relevant because she doesn't actually need that. Right. That's why I thought it was important. I was like, oh no, he forgot it. This is going to be this huge thing. And uh, this may be something the author forgot about. I do like the tension a lot of her magic being drained. Like, I feel like it's sort of unfortunate that Driel, Driel like, doesn't do a lot. She has a lot of fun dialogue, but yeah, she gets kidnapped. She's the lady and she gets well, kidnapped, right? Well, that's also the unfortunate but, problem of being a non-combatant in the human right. universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But I liked her scene of trying to fight back because she does, you know, she makes some efforts. She flies up to the top of the ceiling where they can't reach her, you know, till eventually, you know, they get her there's down. A, there's a callback to that children's game that she and Orca were practicing where, like, you, they can just levitate things without even really needing to cast a spell. Like, mm-hmm. anyone can do that. She tries to use that against Evelyn, and Evelyn's, like, slapping her down because Evelyn's too competent. Um, but yeah, she, no, there's yeah. a few good character moments there for Driel. Well, she tries, she struggles to, like, erase the um, the chalk with her hands and she can't reach. And I thought, oh, you should just, you're hung by your hands, you can, like, move your feet up, maybe, if you have enough ab strength. But that's right when she blacks out. 
But I was so invested. I was like, what is she going to do next? Oh, she blacked out. <laughs> yeah, and I should say, I also found this to be like a really well-written scene, especially because you do not see a lot in media. Someone gets captured and like, it's very clear that she is trying with every ounce of her strength and every possible way that she can to get free. Whereas if I was doing like plenty of media, plenty of pieces of media, someone will get their hands tied together and they'll suddenly yeah. be completely powerless as though they were like a cat with an alligator clip on the back of their neck. As soon as you get hands, <laughs> they just fall over and no longer exist. <laughs> you know, maybe that's why I found this scene so satisfying, you know, is you're right. You don't get enough of that. I like, I admired her character because she's, you know, she doesn't have a lot of like actual power or strength, but she never stops fighting back, so... Oh, I also thought, though, so they sense this new source of magic in the world. That's why they tracked down Driel in the first place. Right. But they're like, oh, it's different than Orko. You know, they like don't know what it is. And it ends up being her. But I'm like, I thought that meant she'd be more magical than Orko or like somehow special. But that hasn't come up yet. Maybe it comes up in the stories we didn't read. It's conceivable, but I think that might just be another kind of thing that could have been a through line that wasn't. And what I remember from the story is just it's a new source of magic. Evelyn doesn't think it's anything special. That's, you know, what she says to, to Clawful or whoever's with her when she goes off. Uh, is that like, yeah, I don't think this is actually going to be useful to Skeletor. We're just trying to get away from him so, he doesn't, so we don't have to listen to him complain and be in a bad mood. Um, it is mentioned a couple of times, though, that like Driel's, I guess, reservoir of magic the magic that she has in her body is a lot more than the amount that orko right. has in his mm. um just sort of like i guess as like a accident of her physiology or something which is why so much more can be siphoned off of her she's like more useful as a battery but doesn't have <laughs> anything to do with it so she's not a spellcaster <laughs> yeah it's gonna come back later but in most circumstances it seems like having more of a mana reservoir in your body as a sorcerer is also not a big deal. Like, it becomes a big deal because of circumstances here in Eternia later on. Uh, but generally speaking, they just use the magic that's all around them because they live in magical worlds, and it doesn't actually matter. So I guess it's... Um, I guess that explains why, you know, that's maybe that wasn't that big a deal on Trolla for her, to like, oh, you really need to become a, a sorcerer or a basketball player, like six feet five or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, also, her family are anti-intellectuals who covered this. Yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, she was, um, it's like, even more than that, there were also apparently the sort of backwards people who are like, ah, yes, ladies must just look pretty and get married right. off. Right. I got yeah. the impression that was supposed to be kind of all of Trollin culture, because there's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's cool, though, because... You know, Driel calls attention to that right away and says, like, this is the background I come from, but, you know, I'm not conforming to it. That's why I wanted to leave Trolla, basically. Not that she chose this. But yeah, um, I think we're supposed to take, I, I'm with Chris, it seems like that's supposed to be, her family is exceptionally and unusually and kind of distressingly like this. But obviously there are those currents in the culture yeah. for them to, you know, be aligned with. The only reason it came up to me again was in a, the later story when she says, is this a mage thing or just a man thing? And it made me start thinking about the Don't fact worry. that I know <laughs> some of this is a bit dated. If I had any complaints and we'll get to that, it's, like, it's sort of dated gender rhetoric. But um, 
it sort of felt like, I don't know, they don't ever mention, like, female students of magic. Not that they mention a ton of them, but it's, like, I almost got the impression that only the male Trollans would train at the magic schools. But that could be completely wrong. I don't know what the author intended. Hmm. Well, let's finish up that first story so we can get on to the second. Um, it kind of concludes the way you would think where Driel is sent back to um, to Trolla and Orko, you know, reaffirms his dedication to staying on Eternia to be at least a little bit part of the good fight. And, you know, is there anything you want to talk about there specifically? Oh, um, I should say there is a scene, I wanted to draw at least a little bit of attention to it, as Driel and Orko are escaping, where Orko gets pursued by, I think, Beastman. And, oh uh, yeah, and that they was have good. To hide in a cave, and Orko gets to use his magic, and um, it is actually you know like makes an illusion. It scares ends up scaring off Beastman, and it ends up being actually useful and good. And uh, there are some decent character exchanges in that whole, um, especially between Orko and Driel in that whole sequence. But it's a little bit. Um, just delving a little bit more deeply into the fact that they escaped, which can easily be summarized as that. Yeah, but that part was cute, right? They float up to this cave, Beastman climbs up, and all of a sudden, from Beastman's perspective, he sees this weird three-eyed dragon thing, and Orko, and then Driel sees Orko just, like, screeching and moving his arms around, right? And she's like, what were you doing? He's like, oh, I made this illusion. And she can't see it, but then when they fly down from the cave, she has a funny little moment of going... Isn't that just like a bigger version of one of the harmless creatures we have on Trolla? And they just sort of laugh about it for a bit. And there's a lot of that, like a lot of them just bonding over being Trollin and these silly Eternians. And it's kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like, again, I mentioned this at the beginning. Those are the scenes that I find the most endearing. So I'm sorry if I'm focusing on them, even if they're not completely plot relevant. Oh, no. I mean, I think we should definitely talk about the non, the less plot relevant things. It's just. I, as usual, am trying to keep us with forward momentum as well. Yeah, we should. Yeah, that that's basically the wrap up of this story. There's a little thing with Evil Lynn. Like, is this crystal magical enough? I don't know. I'm just going to trick Skeletor and then it's the end. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously we're reading it not as it came out. We can immediately go into the sequel. And so, you know, from our reader perspective, Driel's gone and then she's immediately back because. She's basically coming back to visit. Does anything else happen at the very beginning of the second story before, before that basically starts up? Doesn't, doesn't it just start with Orko gardening and then mm -hmm. they show up? Yep. Oh yeah, that's about right. She comes back and she's got an archmage with her who's escorting her because you need someone who's really good at magic to actually do the... Um, oh, you know, before that we should probably talk about Orko and gardening. It's cute. Again, he doesn't have too much he needs to do, and nobody's, like, relying on him for major things, and no one's ever like, hey, Orko, we need you to do some magic. So in addition to his apparently official court gesture job, he's doing some gardening. Um, yeah, and it's this... different clothes. Yeah, he, he's cast off children's clothes. It's a good juxtaposition, though, because he's thinking, he's like, oh, yeah, and Trolla, you know, no one would garden. It would be considered, like, I don't know, lowly or something. Mages wouldn't garden, and... And I would never dress like this on Trolla. That wouldn't be appropriate because they always wear robes and stuff. And then immediately, 
Trollins show up and he's just like so embarrassed. He's like, and it's like he's adapted to Eternia, but then when the Trollins show up, he's like, it's that cultural uh, disconnect, you know? Yeah, for sure. Suddenly he's so he feels embarrassed by these things that he's used to because they're like not not appropriate or uh, certain actions in his his home culture. Certain actions are only suitable in certain contexts, right? So, you know, like you don't shout in the library, you don't wear pants in front of all other trolls right but it sort of makes you like dislike trolling culture a little bit at least me because i'm like oracle likes to guard it just let him guard it <laughs> though to be fair the trollins that show up don't really shame him about it so yeah. it's just his insecurity and it's driel and it's two others yeah we've um, got this this sorcerer dude disparal who um has a silver mask in addition to his colored robes and you know cowl or whatever it says he has a silver mask instead of the usual veil or scarf. And so I do like this idea that um, you have to cover your face, but there's some room for fashion in terms oh, yeah. of how you do that. Yeah, but like, I, it's also like most people probably wouldn't wear a silver mask because, I don't know, not very comfortable, first of all. <laughs> it's secondly, probably kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think it is mentioned even at this point that the. Um... Like, his voice comes through clearly in spite oh, of the yeah, fact that he's wearing yeah. masks. So there must be some magic involved. But, I mean, again, he's, a you know, apparently a master sorcerer, so not yeah. surprising. Yeah, he's the master, and he comes through with his apprentice, Tengu. <laughs> who's sort of like a Orko if he was younger. Like, he's, you know, I guess Orko was still an apprentice when he left, but Orko was also, like, really talented. Whereas Tengu has this thing where he can't really do much magic. Right. He has a conversation with Orca where he's like, yeah, I was in school with you. I remember you. Like, you were great. Oh, right. They and were Orca's in like, together, yeah, yeah, I don't quite remember you. And Tengu's like, yeah, people called me nothing because my magic didn't work. And Orca yeah. has like this moment of feeling bad. It's like, oh, yeah, I thought that was funny, too, back in the day. And like, obviously, he can relate way better now. And he's no longer whatever, like, dumb kid he was. But Tengu doesn't seem to hold a grudge about it. He's just like, oh, it's really cool to be able to meet you. And yeah, I eventually found my master here who gave me a chance to, you know, to work on my magic. That's kind of the biggest scene we get from Tengu for some time, actually. But for, as for the other two, Driel is back to visit. That's really why. And uh, Disparal is immediately like, yeah, okay, you kids have fun. I'm going to go check out Eternia. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> but also they brought something for... Uh, the other reason is they brought... A wand for Orko from oh, yeah, his master Montork. Yeah, because he lost his his wand when he came in, and having a wand feels great to him because it doesn't fix all the problems with doing magic here in Eternia, but it gives him a whole lot more control. And like any amount more control for him is very very good. He needs all of it he can get. And uh, to his credit, I think pretty much every spell he starts casting, when he starts casting spells immediately once he gets a wand, and they all seem to go perfectly fine. Then again, I think in this story, he screws up very few spells in total, so um, 
In spite of the the implication, right, that he right. Has, has been screwing up spells <laughs> most of the time. They sort of yeah. find ways to make it so he only casts spells when he's got this thing. Though there is this uh, whole thing where he shows up to dinner, I think, with the wand. He's like, let me show you something. Everyone's like, no, and Cringer hides under the table. And they're like, wait a second, his magic is working. What? <laughs> Actually, no, they're still mad at her, at least mad at arms is mad at him because oh, right. he could have screwed everything up. How dare he? Uh, that's just man at arms, right? Yeah, pretty much. And so, what's his name? The sorcerer. Disparal. Disparal. Sinistro. <laughs> Disparal. Yeah. Uh, Thinly he... veiled. He jets off for the biggest source of magic, and he sees and checks out Castle Grayskull. And he's like, "Cool, cool," but I think he's heard enough to know that Castle Grayskull is pretty, like, you know, uh, well taken care of by an extremely powerful sorceress. And so he heads off to like the other secondary big source of magical power, which is Snake Mountain. Snake Mountain is kind of a big deal magically speaking because apparently this ancient snake god is turned to stone, like around it, and is back to stone after some events of season two. Yeah, except now there's three of them. I guess that was a thing from the show. I don't don't know. It's like it was, Driel described it as only being one head or one snake, and now it's three heads or three snakes. Can't remember. (laughs) Some number of snakes. I don't know. There's just a thing about it, which I feel like was probably a continuity thing from the show that I didn't bother to look up. (laughs) X snakes with Y heads. (laughs) An accurate way of describing any snake-like being. But what is a snake? <laughs> the real questions. <laughs> what is an ex snake? <laughs> well, anyway, Carol goes up to Skeletor, and he dem- in illusion, so he looks like a human and not like an orco. And he's like, "Hey, I'm an archmage, and I want to help you, and we'll all benefit." And I will drain the magical power out of this god around your mountain so that to make sure that it never wakes up again and also you get all the magical power. And I just want to do it for academic purposes, basically. Is that, is that basically yep. his pitch? Yep. <laughs> yeah, he says, I have no interest in taking the power. Um, oh, I think there's some reason he thinks that he says, like, maybe he just says academic pers- purposes, but also, like, the way the reader's supposed to interpret it, I think, is that he's trying to protect everyone on Eternia. But I don't know if he says that to Skeletor. I think he just says, no, this will just be fun for me. I don't know. Yeah, when you get, like, the very brief description of Despero's thoughts surrounding the magic in this place, it seems like he, and and his, what he's been summarized by to him by Driel, that he's, like, got some amount of positive intentions. He wants to, he doesn't want to, screw over the people in um in Eternia. Yeah, not specifically. Castle Grayskull. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't bear them ill will and is perfectly willing to um, you know, kill Skeletor and all of his minions if it would serve his purposes. <laughs> yeah, of course he doesn't tell anything about killing Skeletor to Skeletor. <laughs> to Skeletor. <And laughs> there's this like fun dynamic yeah. where evil Lin, who is the resident magician person, is like, this, guy, this dude is insanely suspicious, and she tries to fight him magically, and he kind of, like, you know, deflects her attacks easily, like, drains her magic power while he's at it. And, 
you know, Skeletor's attitude is kind of like, yes, this seems suspicious, but on the other hand, power. And so he's like, <laughs> okay, you do your thing, but we'll be watching you. And Despiral's like, yeah, okay, sure. Let me just go get my apprentices and I'll be back and we'll drain the godly magical energy out of the snake god. Yeah. Another fantastic Skeletor scene, which starts with um, when uh, Despero's marched into the throne room by Merman. It starts with Skeletor was bored. <laughs> and I just like, I love all the time Skeletor's bored. He's just like waiting for something to happen. It's a perfect justification for why he's just like, no, but this is like, it's not just power. It's like, it's something to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like... You do start to wonder why he's never taken up a hobby. <laughs> Evil is his hobby, <laughs> right? I mean, I guess. It just doesn't appear to be very productive to him since he ends up bored the majority I know, of the right? time. And the way this fanfiction reads, like, he bosses around his minions, like, not because he really enjoys doing it, but just because he's so bored that he's not conquering the world right now, you know? <laughs> I just think it's funny. And so, then... To move the plot forward here, I'm going to try to summarize here. Despiral goes back, he pulls aside Orko, and he's like, uh, no, you don't need to come to Riel, this is magician business only. And she's like, okay, sure. And he tells Orko, look, we're going to drain all the magical power out of Snake Mountain, including the ones that are like, the magical power that is like powering the life of those people there. And we're going to get rid of the Snake God, we're going to kill Skeletor, it'll be great. Because um, Skeletor is clearly a bad dude who is a risk to, like, all kinds of things. And to do that, we're going to use this forbidden magic uh, that, that does just that, drains magical power out of a whole area. And it's forbidden on Trolla because that is literally a deadly, like, leaving a lifeless wasteland level sort of action you do on a magical world. Right. This is a part I was a little bit confused about, though. What is Despero's motivation. <laughs> like, he's just want to get more power for himself? Yeah, apparently. Okay. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It does sort of just end up that that pretty much had to have been his justification all along. At this point, you could still be harboring some hope that he's, like, just sort of, uh, in spite of his name and all of the obvious notes about him, you could be harboring some hope that he's just sort of an extremist who is trying to do the right thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, that's kind of what I thought he was at this point. But no, I mean, he's going to turn out to be kind of in it for his own power, evil type person. Right. I thought it could go both ways because his action not telling about them about the thing he went to Skeletor for and stuff, like, it seemed sus from the start. It was like setting up something suspicious. Then he comes back and he's like, no, here's why I did it. And I'm going to do this. And you're like, eh, I still don't trust you because you probably should have told everyone ahead of time. And they speaking s- of telling everyone ahead of time. Yeah. We also have a suspicious amount of no one telling anyone that this is a thing that they're going to go head off and do. However, that will end up being justified by the plot. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, because um, Orko agrees fairly readily, and he goes off to assist with this ritual. He needs, you know, more magician bodies involved here. And then, you know, no one knows where they've gone off to, and Driel gets a little bit of, like, kind of wandering around herself. She watches Roboto and some other cyborg play chess. Um, 
Roboto in this continuity is apparently a chess-playing robot that Man in Arms invented that then upgraded itself to be a, you know, heroic warrior instead of just a chess-playing <laughs> bot. So he's like anti-Ultron. He's kind of great. <laughs> yeah, Roboto's pretty cute because he's just like sort of like very, you know, mature, but in a way is like a child because he's, you know, he just observes the world as a new thing. But he's also just extremely logical. So he's just like fun, kind of nice guy who's just like, yeah, I see things. I know things. And he and Driel actually start playing a game together. And it's really fun, though. It's later on. I know that's in the next fanfic, but they have an interaction in this one. I forget what it is. Mm -hmm. But I guess mainly I'll just say there's a lot of fun character moments, especially with the Trollans in this. But let's, yeah, move through the plot, I suppose. For sure. The plot, you know, what happens is that evil Lin, who does not trust this Despairal guy and should not, um, just decides to throw a wrench in all this. And she goes over to Castle Attorney and she's like, hey... Everybody, I come just to let you know that there's some dark, evil magic going on down by Snake Mm -hmm. Mountain, and your friend is involved, and you should probably go do something about that. And I like that just because she doesn't even... I mean, she she sees basically what they're doing, which is draining the power out of Snake Mountain and people there. But, like, I I like that all she does is go tell He-Man and company about it. And just assumes that that's going to wreck whatever is going on. And it does. Like, it works fine. Like, she didn't need to do anything at more personal risk or anything. Nothing dramatic. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a possibility that this went horribly wrong as a plan for her. But, I mean, as far as efficient problem solving is concerned, all she had to do was say a couple of lines and then leave. And then all of her problems were resolved. So, good job. It worked well, out. Also, worst case scenario, even if this went through, she's not going to be in Snake Mountain when it happens. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, she Actually, doesn't care that much, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about what I know about her character, maybe she should have just let this happen, and that would solve more of her problems than it caused. <laughs> well, she seems to think that Skeletor is a useful ally, which I'm not entirely clear why she yeah. thinks that from this fanfic. Right, that's my point. Uh, if Skeletor were just sort of to drop dead, I feel like this would probably <laughs> right. help Evelyn and her plans overall. Although I guess she cares. There's got to be a reason she hangs around with him, right? Like, there has to be. It's just, they never, in any piece of media I've seen about he Man show that there is. Anyway. Yeah. You know, she just likes to be on the losing side. That's all. <laughs> she just so, likes all the failures. fetish, I guess. Yeah. To be honest, though, I don't think she thinks of herself, at least in this fanfic, as being on anyone's side. She's just sort of like, whatever's convenient. And it could just be a place well, to hang out, you know? Skeletor's, right. whatever you call it, Skeletor's place. <laughs> just crashing there. Snake, snake mountain, mountain, of course. What is a snake mountain? Well, I'm going to need to move us through the plot a lot faster here for us if we're going to finish these three. So suffice it to say, there's a big action sequence where they do interrupt the spell um, over there, over at Snake Mountain. And, you know, it was kind of dangerous. And uh, Orko lashes out when he's interrupted, kind of like blows off Roboto's arm, uh, leg, I mean, and maybe causes, almost causes some injury to Driel before he comes to his senses. 
it turns out that the wand that he was given, uh, Despairal had enchanted to make him more suggestible and, like, agree with Despairal's rhetoric more easily. I think they don't bring that up until the next story, actually. I think that, it comes that was at the, the end case, of this one, right? not, like, in the fight. Oh, okay. Maybe it does. Yeah. Um, it's, it's mentioned as sort of, like, a, a possibility, a, a mm. thing that could have happened. But we don't get the confirmation yeah. until next time, I think. I think. Okay, well, yeah. either way, yeah, because the next, next story is more about the fallout from this. But yeah, this sort of ends with, yeah, there's a big fight of trying to get the spell interrupted. And... Yeah, and, you know, the bad things here are, for one thing, Despairal, it turns out, is not a trustworthy guide. You probably don't want him absorbing this magical god power. But there's right. also <laughs> a whole lot of the Saturday morning cartoon morality coming in. Where Orko's like, oh, how could I have, like, unleashed this horrible magic that would have killed people? Innocent people? No, like Clawful. But, you know, like, we don't, we don't kill a little bit of that. people. There, That's right. not a thing there's, that they do. There's slightly more justification in this, this particular case, because you're effectively, like, making a, a hazard to any magical creature out of the area right. not that anyone really lived in snake mountain except for these terrible people but <laughs> like salting the earth is is a different task than just killing a bunch of people that is true <laughs> also not great um but orko does you know have to realign himself it's like i can't believe i i thought about murder as a solution to my problems to our problems this also feels a little tongue-in-cheek, right? Because the Trollins are frequently going, you don't kill anybody ever? You've never killed anyone? Not even these people? Right. Um, but yeah, it's also part of the thing where it's just like, this would have caused a big disaster that was unnecessary. <laughs> and I should also clarify that um, it was more the magic coming from the wheel, is what the spell is called, so wheel of something. Warlock's wheel. Warlock's wheel. Um it was like this turning magic wheel disc. in the original. <laughs> right, it comes from another piece of media. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, it was the magic that sort of lashed out from that that caught Roboto, but I don't, I think that was intentional from all three parties, unclear. Right. And so this spiral takes off. Um, his apprentice, who it turns out doesn't still can't really do magic he just kind of assists in rituals and that was like you know the closest he could come to to like doing magic his apprentice commits trollin suicide because he feels so bad about his role in this seems kind of extreme and but it's another it's another kind of i feel like cultural trollin thing where like the, the way he does it is he flies so high that he blacks out and then he falls back to earth and he like leaves a note about like you know he feels so bad about coming and, like, he didn't know the wand was enchanted to, like, convince Orko and, like, you know, right. he never tried to use his forbidden magic. And the attitude of the other trollins of, like, Driel and Orko is like, oh, that's really sad. But it is everybody's right to choose how they end their life. And that was also of... in the next one, though. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, we've, we've now sort of together. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I just wanted to mention the kind of... Oh, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, no. Um... That's sort of how the next one starts, though. So we, if we're just following the plot continuity, we're, we're there. Um, yeah, okay. He leaves his suicide note in the wand mm -hmm. case that Orko's wand was in before it got destroyed in the whole, you know, conflict involving the Warlock's Wheel, thus breaking yeah. the spell that it had on him. 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that how uh, the second fan fiction, which is titled The Mage and the Silver Mask Ends, is just with Orko and Driel kind of recovering in the hospital, which is basically exactly where, it, or I don't know, whatever they call it, the med bay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, which is exactly where it picks up in the next one, where you get a cute moment between Orko and Driel, and they're lying together, and he's apologetic. And then, yeah, after that, they're in the garden and they discover the note in Orko's wand case. I'd forgotten that that's where the dividing line was. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to say, it's always... The, the trolling cultural thing is kind of neat. Like every time they have some, they seem to have in some ways just as similar to earth, a culture as like the Eternans do, but like they've got some things they think about differently than me or differently than the Eternans. Like it's just, I feel like it's kind of interestingly done. Yeah. And I, I think that in this, um, like the author does a really good job of, writing these characters from these characters' perspectives. Like, I was probably more pleased than I should be with the line where um, Orko's talking about... Um, talking about how magic works to Driel, and he thinks to himself about about the attorney and saying that he's learned about it being, like, a well-trodden path, and he's like, well, but that doesn't apply to Trollins, so <laughs> I'm not going to use that expression. That would be silly. <laughs> And speaking of it, of expressions, uh, the third story is called, oh no, I'm sorry, the first story is called Lightning Strikes Twice, and that is a troll and expression that lightning always strikes twice. And they just take this <laughs> for totally granted, they apply to situations metaphorically like you might with any expression, and the attorneys are like, what? Is that that's a thing? That's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if that's, that's that a thing from the original? I, I have no idea. I don't, be. I doubt it. I, I swear to God, I was just watching a show where, like, somebody made the mistake of saying, like, oh, you know, lightnings always strikes twice, and it was a joke. Um, also, it should be noted, uh, I mean, this might be just a statistical irrelevancy that I heard at one point, but if you are struck by lightning, mm. you are much more likely to be struck by lightning again than someone who hasn't been struck by lightning. Right. So... In a specific relative person sense, lightning striking the same place twice is a thing that happens. The same person <laughs> twice, though. Like, I don't know. Yeah, people in places, what are you talking okay. about? Okay, well, my point, <laughs> okay, my point is, is that I imagine the reason that's true is because they do things, like jobs that involve, like, climbing up on poles in storms, you know? Like, like I said, about anyway. statistical irrelevancy. I don't know whether that was accounted for in the statistic that I read. I should look into this. <laughs> well, anyway, the main body of this third story, the title is The Apprentice's Sorcerer, and the summary on the author's website is the final, crossed out, third part of the Trollin trilogy. Right. <laughs> Montork arrives to clean up some loose ends. And that's, it's kind of a lot of falling action, most, or not falling actions, it's a lot of people talking is what it is, for most of it. Because Montork uh, comes back. Um, Montwork is, is Orko's uncle from the original continuity, from the original cartoon, and he's like a good sorcerer, he's got a beard, he's a trollin', and like he comes, and a lot of the fanfic is him working with Orko on like the magic-using situation here in Eternia, and Orko and Driel kind of, you know, getting closer until they change their Facebook status to dating, right? <laughs> and... um. 
A lot of so cute good. moments between them, I, you know. And like you said, Tori, R- Roboto is more of oh, a character right. and has more cute moments than, say, Prince Adam in this chapter. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's interesting seeing where the author's interest falls. Yeah. So in that same vein of writing and the perspective of characters, there's a scene where Orko apologizes to Roboto for blowing his leg off, and um, Roboto's fine with it, and he thinks to himself about how Adam had described the situation to him as, like, Orko having his programming altered, uh, but then doesn't mention this to Orko because he knows that people get very sensitive about being referred to as though they're machines, um, so I thought that was like incredibly endearing for several yeah. characters. Just in just one line, you get like Adam's comfortable enough talking to Roboto in these terms, and Roboto knows enough about human cultures and troll and cultures by extension, um, to know like how to be careful around these topics, and it worked really well. Um, not to like geek out about particular word choice. No, it it did no. and deeply into a single line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what I was trying to describe not very well about Roboto's character, but here's the thing. You can take that line and all the words I tried to use describing his character are kind of summed up in that. So I think that's actually just really good writing there. And then, like I said, there's lots of magic talk, kind of talking about the, the magical mechanics that the author is setting up. And, you know, Montork does yeah. some experiments about why it's so hard for, like, Orko to do magic here, but other Eternans seem to be able to do it. And, and then he blows himself up. <laughs> so, which seemed, I mean, just, like, going into that scene. I know, Like, right? the sort of thing he should have exercised proper care about, given all of the information that he knows at that point. He's but, like, you know. Orko, here, try this. Oh, it's not going well. Here, let me try. <laughs> and then this giant boulder explodes, impales him with shrapnel, hot shrapnel, and Orko has to heal him. Well, no, he ends up healing himself, but like, he was mostly dead at that point, so well, mostly. No, relatively, somewhat. Orko does heal him, he's just heals like the minor breaks and bruises. Yeah. Right? Might have misread that scene. Uh, I, I think they, maybe they both are involved. He definitely ends up at least finishing healing himself. But yeah, the, oh, okay. the conclusion he comes to is like, oh, okay, so the thing is, you know, the magic here in Eternia does have different qualities to it. Like, it kind of comes in waves more than at home. But back at home, but like, as a wizard, as a sorcerer, you can store magic in your body. And on Trolla that's pretty irrelevant because it doesn't matter where you draw your magic from. But here, the external magic's not working, but if you practice storing magic inside yourself, it kind of becomes, I guess, processed in some way, attuned to yourself. And if you draw on that magic, if like Orko draws on that magic, he can cast spells fairly normally here on Eternia too. And yeah, so I mean, that's cool. That made some inherent physics sense to me. It's like if you're... Um like trying to draw water out of a reservoir but like it's constantly the pressure keeps changing you're not going to have a lot of luck trying to like spray a hose for example out of that but like if you pump that water into a different reservoir with a different pumping mechanism it doesn't really matter that the flow changed all of the time because then you're using a different pumping mechanism and you can then oh, yeah. control the output from there that's a great metaphor <laughs> right there's so much attention 
a paid, yeah, paid to explaining the magic in this world. And yeah, that is a great metaphor. But the author also like comes up with their own metaphors and like just I don't know they. I love the attention they paid to it. That's all I can say. And then the other huge dangling plot loose end is Despiral, who's still hanging out in Eternia somewhere. And Montork goes to bring him to justice. Montork's a big deal, you know, on Trolla. He's, like, part of, like, the ruling council these days. And Despiral apparently, like, you know, had some youthful shenanigans, but they thought he'd turned a new leaf, and it turns out, no, he's a dangerous loose cannon who needs to be brought back in. And so they get to go... He goes and tracks down Despiral and has a, a wizard's duel. And I feel... Again, I feel like one of the strengths of this fanfic is these small, little details about things. Where, for example, when they come face-to-face, Despiral and Montork, eventually, like, you know, Montork's able to track him down, and Despiral knows he kind of has to, like, um, kind of has to deal with this. And he's like, look, trolling law doesn't even apply here. We don't need to fight. Like, you can just go back to Trolla, and I can do my thing over here. I'm not going back to Trolla. It's fine. <laughs> there's this moment where Montork tries to do something here it is Montork spoke a short sentence nothing happened he was not surprised only disappointed he had tried to cast the final part of the spell that had sent Despiral here it was a two part spell the second part of which would pull Despiral back it had been incompletely cast so one phrase would finish it and return him to Trolla a skilled mage could easily manipulate the spell to prevent others triggering it and then Despiral says, I don't blame you for trying, but you simply will not be able to take me back to Trolla. It's like, the author wrote in this thing that kind of makes sense for how they would have set up the spell, and then characterized Montork as someone who's going to give it a shot, like, oh, it's worth a try, maybe he forgot to remove that spell and I can just pull him back to Trolla. And, but no, it didn't work. Because she's also making Despiral competent enough to have, like, dealt with that earlier. <laughs> right. And, it's like, it's not like this was ever mentioned before. It's just kind of part of the, the fabric of making it feel like these two are both competent people who know their magic and that magic is an established thing that they both understand, if that makes sense. Rather than magic being like loosey-goosey shenanigans all the time. Yeah. And I think this is sort of one of those keys to like writing conflict well, is that you have people make an attempt at doing something and other people have having been clever enough to know how to block or counter it um and it's a lot easier when to like you're making it understand all the rules of magic <laughs> because you've made up the rules of magic um than it say you're trying to engage in a sword fight where you don't quite know the particular types of reposts or counters or blocks or and have to describe them somewhat more loosely but, I mean, it works very well in, in this sort of scene where you you at least have, in a very general sense, the movements of a magic battle happening. Right. And you get the impression, you know, like, mostly we've seen Orko, and Orko, despite being the great, is still an apprentice by the time he leaves. So these are master magicians. And like you said, they've invented their own rules for how their magic works, and they really know it very well. And I think that's why it's, I don't know, like I said, I love the way magic's described. It's so fun to watch the battle that they have, um, or read, rather. <laughs> watch inside my mind eye. Yeah, yeah but it, it does 
feel very much kind of like a climactic battle in a cartoon. It has some things going in that direction because, you know, they do spell stuff. At some point, Despero's mask is, is torn off and, you know, Montwork tries to avert his eyes because it's, it's still rude to look at this dude's face. But he can't help but notice, oh, he's got all this facial scarring that indicates he's part of this, like, evil cult on, Dude, you know, Trolla. it's like, not just facial scarring, it's like, messed up. Like, the description, <laughs> I was listening to it in the car and I was like, oh, bad. Do I need to pause this now so I can drive? And, uh, I mean, like, immediately after that, just in terms of the darkness of how this plot is going, it gets even worse because the next thing that Despairal ends up doing is summoning something called an abomination, which right. is made with a bunch of trollin sacrifices. Right. Yeah, and it was, like, bound dark. into his body, which is how he brought it here. And now Right, in his tattoos. It. Yeah, right. he has all these body tattoos, as well as his facial mutilation, which is, like, slitting his face, you know, Joker style, except you can see his teeth through the it was just bad but yeah apparently all of these trolling souls are bound up in an abomination in his tattoos and they're all thinking like he's summoning he's conducting a summoning spell like the you know the trollids are are orca well orca's not even there montork's there right orca doesn't show yeah, up till later montork at that point yeah he's thinking like there's no way he couldn't have brought something through the gate and he's like no he bound it to his tattoos oh man so you're like getting this impression this is like an evil genius you know and i, I kind of <laughs> like it honestly and it also sets up the very normal kind of climactic fight scene thing where like people come to help montork and he's like i'll deal with despair you fight the abomination which is what everybody else gets to do <laughs> and i yeah. mean it's not like a new clever idea it's just like when it happened, I was like, yes, I understand how the flow of this works. And I can imagine these two wizards floating high above doing their magical duel, which is not actually that visually impressive because that would be hard to animate. And also because when you're at that level, they don't do the big showy, flashy things. Um, and then meanwhile, down below, He-Man gets to hit something with a sword. Kind of gets to hit something yeah. with a sword. <laughs> it I guess seems try, to be mostly ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, actually, He-Man pulls out his sword, and Orko's like, oh, wow. He-Man almost never actually tries to hit someone with a sword. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is another Saturday morning cartoon thing. Right. They make a lot of those tongue-in-cheek things, inc- including how this fanfic sort of ends up, the whole killing thing. We mentioned it, it's gotten a little more dark than the previous tone. Um, and there's... He-Man slashes at the Abomination, but it doesn't seem to do much. And I actually forget how the Abomination gets defeated. It gets defeated because the Sparrow gets defeated. Oh, because the Sparrow, that's right. Yeah, they're all trying to fight the Abomination. It's sort of background, and really it's this conflict uh, between... It's sort of background, and they're sort of losing. Yeah. And the Abomination keeps shape-shifting, like, gaining more eyes and stuff, so it can watch (laughs) behind it and around it. And I was like it's good description i like this scene yeah i mean I, you only get a little bit of it but it's like neat monster design mm-hmm. where it has a bunch of like it has six pairs of wings but then like several extra wings sticking out at other angles <laughs> and then it has um sort of like a misty form that mm-hmm. coalesces into different like facial features that right like however many it needs at any time like ears in the wrong places is i think something they say yeah it's an abomination you know (laughs) i think here's where i have to mention that 
there's little additional things under each chapter on the author's website, and most of them are fan art from the author illustrating scenes. And that's pretty cute. Like, you know, that shows that's some dedication. You don't see that very often. I also appreciate um, the, the little label of the illustration of Driel and Orko showing each other their faces as a warning in red. Warning, facial nudity. Because that is, <laughs> you know, very, like, private and probably sexualized and trolling culture. What I'm also getting at is, under The Apprentice's Sorcerer, there is Despiral's theme, which is the most old internet thing you could possibly imagine. It is a 211 kilobyte zipped real media file of the Genova theme from Final Fantasy VII, or the boss fight. Which I love. Oh, I I unironically, okay, I, I both ironically and unironically love it. Yep. Both no, of those I, are there. I, I just love it. Like, it's pure love. Because picturing that in the fight works for me. And it makes me think of the internet culture I love. Like I said, nostalgia, right? <sighs> Absolutely. And, like, I have to admit, I did not download the zip and try to play a real media file in the year of our Lord 2021. But I did have the Shinova theme running through my head when I was reading this. So, mission accomplished. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can, I don't know, do you one better, but I have a, like, Pandora track that I, or a Pandora channel that I listen to when I'm reading stuff, and because I need a bunch of stuff that doesn't have a bunch of lyrics with it, it's usually just the the Black Mages, so I actually, (laughs) for part of this scene, was listening to the Black Mages Genova track. That's great. Because also, like, Black Mage's character design sort of looks like Orko, so... Absolutely. joke that they reference in this, that's, I think, supposed to be the joke about Orko's gardening costume, is that it looks like... Oh, in the the picture they have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean in the description, but also in the picture they have, it's even more so. (laughs) It's a good point. Looks like the Black Mage. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. The, the picture there, Orko the Gardener, in case anyone missed the in-joke. And yeah, he's definitely wearing the Black Mage, like, straw hat-looking thing. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so cute. I, I will say, like, this uh, art has the uh, early digital coloring sort of thing that isn't always my favorite, but the pictures are really cute and the colors are really vibrant, and I like that they're there. It made me picture, like, all the characters really well. Well, at least the trolling characters, because mostly they just draw trollins. In fact, they exclusively draw trollins. Well, anyway, the fight also ends in kind of an, a surprisingly interesting way. Normally, this kind of fight, I, I don't expect to have a resolution that, you know, is particularly creative or interesting. But Despairal surrenders, pretends to surrender, and he hands over his ritual sacrifice knife, which, you know, is like... That's a sign of his goodwill. And so Montork takes that. Despairal then attacks Montork when Montork's guard is down. And Montork was inclined to trust this because he was actually disarming himself, right? By handing over the ritual sacrifice knife thing. Well, this is the second time, or maybe even third, he goes, Oh, he can't really be surrendering, can he? And that he's not. But anyway. Let's be clear had to go for a knife to someone in melee range is not a good plan, even if you are a master sorcerer, as evidenced by this, how this scene is going, then. Good point. (laughs) Right. He then, you know, 
grabs Montork's throat and casts a spell and begins to drain his energy flat out, and Montork cannot counter that at this range Like what, once this spell is in effect. But he is holding a ritual sacrifice knife, and so he stabs Despairal with it. Yeah. In the and, neck. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. And it's like, and, stab, jerk upward, like they describe that. Yep. <laughs> Right. It was very intentionally a death blow. Though, okay, actually it wasn't, because he tries to heal him after that. And he right, thinks that he can. Him. Right, but except that Despairal has these magical shields against necromancy up, and healing magic is a type of necromancy. And, and he so, refuses to drop them. Yeah, here's the scene. Nothing happened. The blood kept flowing. Despairal had blocked all necromantic magic, imagining that Montork would cast a death spell. And earlier on, Montork did cast a necromantic spell to try to cause pain, like in the, the mage fight. But healing spells, which used life force, were also necromancy. Drop your barrier spells, Montork shouted, pressing on the wound, trying to slow the flow of blood. Despairal stared up blankly. His breathing was sounding worse and worse, becoming labored, buzzling wheezes. Bubbling wheezes, excuse me. Montork began battering at the defensive spells, trying to break through in time to heal Despairal. And it's unclear, like, you know, they talk about it afterwards, it's unclear whether Despairal was just so out of it he could not drop his own defenses after being stabbed in the neck, or whether he was like, I'm going out, you know, not going to have you drag me in, copper kind of attitude thing, which is also a possibility, but they're never going to have that resolution to find out. Both seem plausible. Yeah. It's intense, too, because it's immediately followed up with... um he-man sort of looking at and going like you killed him like in total shock and orko is the one you know the, the bridge between worlds who sort of goes like well you know he tried to heal him he wasn't like he didn't intend to kill him but um but then that also turns into a kind of poignant yeah. moment again because the line here is montwork glanced at he-man's sword and armor then he looked up at Eternia's defender You've never had to kill another person? Well, no. Montork looked at the corpse. Quietly, he said, I hope you never find out what it's like. So yeah. Drawing a lot of pathos, I feel like, out of Masters of the Universe here. And it was all set up, right? Before, by the jokes about, oh, killing, and now it's like, this is real. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, like, I agree with you. This is, there's a lot of, Pathos, and that's a well-delivered line. Um, I approve. On the other hand, you do have to sort of confront how the logic of Masters of the Universe fails to apply once you start applying all of these real-world tropes. Like, it, this isn't the only place that this is going to fall apart if we're going to start making everything real. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, on some level, you're like... Okay, yes, this is the one instance where we're calling out the the cartoon morality, Saturday morning cartoon morality. Um, but like what about all of those other instances? <laughs> well, and it's even more bizarre because they didn't kill someone who was I mean, okay, they tried to enforce more and more how evil he was by being a part of this like horrible cult and stuff and how he manipulated them and took advantage of Orko and and yeah. Like, so he was a bad dude in many ways, but he was a person that they also had trusted as an ally before, which is not very common in He-Man. It's not just like, oh, hey, that's all the evil guys in their evil tower. This is like somebody that people had 
emotions around. Like Tengu certainly did, though Tengu killed himself over it. So like yeah, that's no another like, dark part. No one's like Clawful, how could you betray us? We were friends. Right, right. And also, like, um, there was a lot of attention paid to Orko's connection to Trolla and like seeing this master mage come through you know, at the beginning of the previous story, felt like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. This is, like, my people, you know? And now he's had to see his uncle kill this guy, so. And at the very, very end, Montork has to head back to Trolla. He says, I need to go, like, turn myself in before the council. And they're like, well, you didn't mean to kill him. And, like, you know, it was necessary. It was, like, defense. It was all these things. And he's like, well, yeah, but we still take people killing each other in sorcerer's duels very seriously, and so we should. And so he still needs to, like, go lay it all out on the table, and they give him the note from Despero's apprentice. He just needs to, like, go, you know, reveal all the facts. And the implication is he's not going to be, like, jailed for it, probably, necessarily, but, like, he's still going and and re- trying to check in with the justices that he that he has above him. And then, of course... Driel decides to stay on Eternia, at least for now, with Orko. Yeah. And they show each other their faces. Does that happen at the end of this one, or did that Actually, happen? Actually, apparently that happened in the second one. chapter. I would have sworn okay. the third. But the illustration is in the second. Yeah. No, it is, it is. It's towards the end of right. the it's, second. Uh, when Orko's recovering in the infirmary after their right. whole conflict. I've... Sorry, we skipped over that a little bit. But yes. By, by the way, just as a comment, yeah, we skipped over it. It's because the romance is fine, but it's not, it's not, it's nothing that I haven't seen many, many times before. I think that the, um, like, parts of troll and culture entering into it here and the way that they feel about certain actions is, is you know, a little bit unique. But no, yeah. it's, it's fairly typical outside of that, so yes. They, that... Though, I mean, if you have to talk about a romance story, at least this one is not horrible or especially offensive. Like, they're actually just really cute together. Mm-hmm. There are some elements of misogyny in the plot, but it doesn't come from Orko's side of things, you know? And so that's like, I don't know. I mean, it's weird to say it, I praise it for just being pretty decent, but I kind of do considering, you know, how bad these stories can be. I mean, I also know Driel doesn't get a lot of character in here, but I do at least appreciate that she does get the character beat of relating to Orko's wanting to try to do something, even if it's just a small thing, in that she was, like, you know, and Orko sort of feeling useless in that she was always sort of told that she was useless. Right. And she's a fully fleshed out character, and you kind of see a future for her, you know? Like, and they have a cute little banter together, and she makes fun of him. She doesn't just, yeah, like, fall, it, you know, under his spell. She, like, teases him. She's pretty, um, what do I want to say, assertive. And it definitely makes her decision to stay on Eternia much more palatable. It's not like she's giving up everything to go live with her new boyfriend. She did, the, the path that her family was setting her on, on Trolla, was not one she wanted to do anyway. Like, so it's more along the lines of she's setting out on her own to like discover what she does want to be doing more than anything else or like as, as kind of part of that action i wish we had gotten that little bit of commentary in this scene because it would have helped with the whole character right. being a little bit more fleshed out but um yeah that is the implication you can draw yeah i think it's there <laughs> um 
Oh, the only thing about them showing each other their faces. Uh, there's an illustration of that. That's the one with warning facial nudity. Mm-hmm. I, their faces are pretty human looking. Like they, they've got noses. I, I was kind of hope they got two eyes. I was kind of hoping that actually their faces would be much less similar to like a human Eternan looking thing. I mean, fair enough. And also, shouldn't their eyes be a little bit more glow? I mean, I guess it's not going to show up a lot in this, but <laughs> their eyes definitely glow in the right source material. <laughs> Hence the showing through the facial right. coverings. <laughs> well, I think that's the end of the plot of the fanfics. So, um... Is there anything major that we missed that we want to go back and talk to, or should we just get to that as part of anything we want to praise or complain about? Let's just move into the ending, then. I I don't see anyone's hands raised. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's other stuff in this story. I just feel like we actually have talked about it quite a bit. I think we can wrap it up. I've got some little tidbits in my mind for criticism and praise. Yeah. Well, we start with criticism so that we can end on praise. Is there anything in the story that you want to complain about or that you think could have been done better? There's a, like, it's funny, like, I think these stories are all really well done, but there's a weird lack of falling action in the last one. I just jumped out at me because, like, you know, I, but I guess the author's getting more used to rolling from story to story, so maybe we'll see how that picks up in the next one. We had trouble distinguishing between two and three because they basically just fall directly from each other, so maybe that's not so much a criticism. I will say that I sort of brought this up before. Driel is a I like her dialogue I like her perspective I like when we're in her head um but we don't get a ton of it and as kind of the female love interest of Orko there's this one line towards the end of uh the apprentice's sorcerer story three where it says Driel had been at the edge of the woods watching from a distance of the battle she would not be left behind to worry but she had sense enough to realize that in a battle like this, the only function she could serve would be that of maiden in distress. So she had stayed back. And it's just like, yep. And she was maiden in distress in the first story, you know, and not for like the author at least justifies that she comes from this family where they are somewhat misogynistic and she hasn't been provided with magical training. It's just sort of like, yeah, that's her role though. And I just wanted to see her do more, you know? Like, I liked her dialogue. I, I felt like it was sort of this uh, this tension of, like, okay, she comes from a misogynistic culture, but uh, I don't know if we need to see her, like, actively calling herself a damsel in distress, <laughs> like, and being like, I can't help. I'm not going to do anything. Like, that's, ugh. I don't know. <laughs> that's my criticism. I mean, I, I agree with that. But on the other hand, if you are a non-combatant, don't go running blindly into battle. It's I know, idea. I know. Like I said, it's not impractical. It's just like, narratively speaking, I just wanted like, I don't know. I wanted more from her character, I guess. Yeah, agreed. I do think that the plot does, does also, in spite of its attempts to avoid this, uh, some of the um, scenes end up being a lot of, like, doing people doing stuff just in order to sort of move the the scenes closer to the conclusion the climax of the the conflict more conflict happens it's not a lot of like emotional character beats it's just i uh, guess and then i will go and do the thing <laughs> um i don't want to like 
make that too much of a, a critical point because you know some amount of setup needs to happen in order for the emotional scenes to you know be there but i don't just don't feel like it was always the case maybe i'm i'm being way too critical here no that was one of high risk complaints too just saying that sometimes people act just because to further the plot rather than it being kind of like very intrinsically motivated or whatever um yeah i feel like i'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what what I would want to complain about here, but I think it might come down to one of my old standards, which is kind of like the flow. The flow mm-hmm. of these is choppy in ways where, I mean, we will have a fight scene where it's like they lined up and paired off against each other. Done. And then we will have you know, very extensive, like, conversations between Orko and Montork over, like, lots of things in the third chapter before we get back to anything dramatic happening. And I know it, like, a lot of it comes down to what the author was interested in talking about. And, you know, I would much rather the author write the things they were interested in in writing about rather than, like, strain themselves trying to write a fight scene back over there. But but it, it produces a bit of a choppy flow, not unlike... It turn in magic when trying to be wielded by a <laughs> a lumpy flow. A lumpy flow. <laughs> uh, sometimes there will be things like, like I said, like the the first scene that makes it seem like Adam or Tila are characters I'm going to need to pay attention to, and then it's like, no, not really. And like going on, I was like unclear how much attention I was supposed to be playing paying to Roboto, right? Where it's like it seemed like oh, gradually he was maybe becoming more important, but like it. Is is that like a thing that's going to be continuing? It's kind of not clear. Um, there's some characters, or like Ram Man. Ram Man makes an appearance, I guess. Right. Like, sort of buzz like, off uh, doesn't. Do I? <laughs> is this like a thing? I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what I'm getting at here. Just that, like, the just just the pacing and flow of reading it is a little bit uneven. Sort of like the rules of narrative conciseness you know like you only focus on things if they're going to have some amount of relevancy like we don't have scenes about you know characters going to the bathroom because it would be (laughs) plot right well in a way yeah sometimes these little are like a little bit more like little vignettes of character right and it's mostly orko and driel but yeah, there's just some other stuff. I guess maybe that was sort of my thing with Driel is like uh, the thing with Roboto and Driel felt more about informing Driel's character. And at the end, she didn't really show any major character shift or right. like anything well, was really about her, yeah. you know? So actually do a lot in the second half of the. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go on. I do just want to say in regard to these complaints, especially the vague ones that I'm making. Is that this is not where the series ended. It kept on going. And so things like, mm-hmm. you know, where Driel's character was going, or like whether Roboto's gonna be more of a thing, or you know, whether like plot threads involving Evelyn and Stolen Troll and Magic are like maybe those come back. Who knows? I don't know. We only read the first three stories and there's like another four of them or something. And so I we just can't necessarily speak to that completely either. True. And you know, that being said, I think we can probably move into praise. Yeah, for sure. What do oh, we want sh- to praise about this fanfic? I have a lot of things I liked about this. I actually really enjoyed reading it. 
there's this interesting tension though of like it's like how much is this like he-man you know sometimes we praise that about fan fiction oh it's like the source and it is in many ways and sometimes i think some of our criticisms were almost around how it was like he-man which i think is kind of funny but i just had fun like the author never took it too seriously had a lot of tongue-in-cheek sort of references to he-man skeletor was always amusing and the fun character the character moments were strong even down to this like very sort of dark ending that they did at the end of the apprentice's sorcerer i felt convinced by every component even though the tone sort of shifted then and orko and Driel were fun to watch together even though like yeah i don't know if characters always like developed or advanced but the fact that the author was intending to explore characters who had not had previous exploration i think they did so really effectively also just good writing solid writing all around yeah i think i have to be praising things in the same direction where the author is trying to keep things largely kind of you know not dramatically off tone from the 2002 he-man cartoon which is not it seems dramatically off tone from the original one but and so a lot of it is kind of like lighthearted, like yeah, you know, the situation's kind of goofy, yeah, Eternia, yeah, like Skeletor is sort of like like funny, and then the author keeps bringing it in though to like, and here's a poignant character moment, and somehow they yeah. put in enough of the work there that a lot of those land well, even though the rest of it is kind of like breezy or like let's explore magic or like you know, He Man punches a monster maybe sometimes <laughs> like the author does set up the groundwork that they're able to land actually like good storytelling beats in a very enjoyable way. So in addition to those points, which I definitely agree with, um, I did also like that there was some attention paid to the physics of magic um, or like the physics of the world and how things function. Some good metaphors were used in doing that. And in addition to that, they're in sort of the same vein as the, the character beats being really well put together. The author also does a really good job of writing from the perspective of the characters, getting sort of into how they would have thought about a particular thing and like some attention and detail is paid to that and i feel like that's it's a really important thing to being a good writer and oftentimes you'll find that even in good works of fiction some of the characters will end up feeling a little bit saving because you know that they were written by the same person and this at least shows the care to try to avoid that yeah, it's cool that way, because, like, it almost could be too much when Orko keeps saying, on Trollo, we'd do this, but here I've learned to do that. But it's not, because it's so fascinating what those differences are. I don't know, I, you're talking about character as well, but also just cultural, like, that was super cool. So, agreed. All right. Is there anything else that we want to talk about then? Or should we wrap this up? It's kind of a a meaty several stories in a way i think there's obviously more we could say but i think we've done our due diligence yeah i get the distinct yeah. feeling that this uh, podcast might be running a bit long by your standards at this point eh yeah well, we just keep getting longer and longer it's okay <laughs> started out as a trilogy that had more parts <laughs> yes exactly <laughs>
then I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again, once again, to Chris for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime that you need a guest. And also for um, Hairu for having that fanfic list that I enjoy turning back to repeatedly. And to the author, sorry for not letting you know we were going to do this ahead of time. Uh, what's the author's name again? Gonzo the... Gonzo the Great? Uh, no. <laughs> Gonzo the... <laughs> Gonzo the Mediocre. Mediocre. However, they also list themselves as... What is it? Karen Kim. McFarland on their website? Kim, it looks like, yeah. yeah. And their email address Kim, is a Negaduck reference. So, you know, points all around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though I don't know, that's an at Yahoo, right? So or at AOL. Oh no, something like that. That's it's that kind of email address. At AOL, the yeah, they might not use that one anymore. Yeah, <laughs> negaduck nine at AOL dot com. <laughs> well, they updated the website in two thousand twenty. You said so. Maybe true, but that doesn't mean they use their AOL dot com email address. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this was episode 123 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the Trollin Trilogy, meaning the original trilogy, by Gonzo the Mediocre. You can find it on the author's personal, very retro website, which we'll provide a link to on the show notes. You can still download the zip file with real media audio, uh, if there's any program that can still open such a thing. Speaking of music, the intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. And you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Probably not in real media format. Our podcast is edited by Dom Davis. Thanks as always. There were some, there were some dogs barking this time but hopefully you, the audience, will not be hearing that, thanks to Dom's heroic efforts. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic. You can send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. We can be found a couple other places on the internet as well. And you can leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm Chris. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Someone needs to say the thing. <laughs> power of Grayskull? Yeah. The power of Grayskull. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah, you're right. You should have just said the thing. Look, there's so many good options for a an tag here, though, because Dom could just play that real audio file. I think that is the solid choice. Also, that's true. I also just want to read the character names um, of the toy line here. Okay, no, in the order of your favorite, at least favorite name. That would take a little time.